0: But right now, right now, every once in a while, we try and have a Devo spot. Why do we do that? Why do we open up this mic to give, you know, to people to give five, ten-minute devotions? Well, because part of our vision for the Upper Room Bible Study is that this is a place where we are all a family. Okay? Just because I'm up here doesn't mean that I'm any different than you are. This is just what God's called me to do for this time in my life. We are all a family. We are all on the same level. And to be honest, a lot of you are probably two or three levels above where I'm at right now. But as a family, we want to give opportunity to to people to be able to use their gifts, to be able to use the gifts that God has given them and exercise and to grow those gifts out. And so every so often we have a Devo spot. And we're going to be doing that in just one second. But before I invite him up, I want to tell you a little bit about my good friend Jameson. Uh, Jameson has to be the top three just meekest, godliest people I've ever met. I don't think I've ever heard Jameson say one bad thing about anybody ever. What's he doing behind me? Uh, He's giving a thumbs up. He is proving me wrong right now. I'm just kidding. But, uh... I don't think I've ever heard Jameson say anything bad about anyone. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard Jameson say anything negative, period, except about himself. He's just such a a godly man, and, and as long as I've known him, which has probably been, I don't know, I'd say probably three or four years now that I've known Jameson, every time I see this guy, it just brings the biggest smile to my face. He's just one of those people that is just... Focused on Jesus, and I'm not saying this at all to give him a big head. This is the reason why I'm saying this. Because I want you to understand why we're inviting these people up to this microphone. Because if there's anybody here who, you know, has just demonstrated themselves to be, you know, walking with the Lord and of good report with men and all the qualifications that are laid out in Timothy and Titus, if there's anybody here that fills those qualifications, it's Jameson. You know, it's not that he's perfect. It's not that he's without fault. Yeah, he has his faults. He has sin in his life. We all do. But he is one godly guy, and I'm stoked to hear what God has to say through him. And so, please, listen up. Let's hear what God has to say through my brother, Jameson.
1: Hey, guys. Okay, well, let's pray real quick. Father, we just we come to you, Lord. Um We're just so thankful for for who you are, Father, and God, I pray that you would just uh minister to us tonight, Lord. Is we just uh come to to know who you are, Lord. Um God, I pray that you would just uh Give me the words to speak, and um, and I pray God that you would just give uh, understanding of of what it is that you've been teaching me, God. And um, I pray God that Lord that you you would be lifted up. Um, God, humility is not trying to lower ourselves to a level where we imagine ourselves lower, but realizing how high you are, God, and. Um, Father, so I say quick prayer, Lord, so um, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you guys could open up to John chapter 15, and then go to the right. Oh, John chapter 16 is what we're going for. Okay, but before we read, I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say hello, greet them, introduce yourself. Yeah, do it be social (laughs) good job okay you guys didn't know they were there did you i saw them (laughs) okay um john chapter 16 verse 22 I'm reading from the New Living Translation, also known as a paraphrased version, but it says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Okay, so like, in the context here, this is speaking at a different point in Jesus' ministry than what we're at currently right now. This was before Jesus actually went to the cross, and he's talking about, you "No, know, they're going to have sorrow because he's going to the cross, but... He, when they see them, they're going to have joy. So, what side does that leave us on? Anybody? Sorrow side? Joy side? Joy. joy. Good job. That's why you teach here. <laughs> okay. um, so, w- with that in mind, um, something, I guess, more of an issue that I've seen within myself, and not within you, because I can't read your heart, but in myself, <laughs> so I hope that you have a heart too that can relate, um, is just that we we get into this sort of mentality of joy that it's, it's an obligation. It's a Christian duty, kind of like happiness. I, I closely associate the two, so um, if I switch between the two, um, don't give me weird faces like you are right now. Um, but in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Um, I'm tempted to have Tyler sing around again this week, but I don't want to put him on the spot. He did it last week, so... Um, mini exhortation come to the love feast and you can hear Tyler sing it's also a bonus um, so rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice don't lose me here uh, we we have this obligation I think we see other joyous Christians and if we're willing to admit it we're not always that joyful and it's kind of like a coveting sort of thing it's like man look at that guy's joy I wish I had that kind of joy Have you have any of you ever heard one of your brothers and sisters in Christ say that to you about somebody else I wish I had joy like that yeah, so I'm not completely alone here. That's good. <laughs> um, and, and we've at it. We look at it as a state. We kind of look at it as something that we desire to be in. Um, but what did Jesus say about joy right here? Silence. I'm not a good sound effects person. Otherwise, I'd be doing crickets right now. Um, he said the joy that he gave to us. Right. Nobody can rob it. Nobody can take it away. Um, the action is right there is not on us, you know? The action is not on you. Philippians 4 says rejoice in the Lord always, and again, it says rejoice. It doesn't say make yourself joyful always in the Lord and make yourself joyful. But I think if we're willing to admit, we sort of take these different verses at times where we're feeling that kind of bitterness, maybe even in a church setting or just around other people that are joyful, and trying to make ourselves produce joy. We're kind of trying to strive for it. We're trying to work into it. I know I'm supposed to be joyful. I'm a Christian, but I'm just I'm not there right now. So we sing these songs to ourselves to try to get ourselves in the mood. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say. But we're not really, it's not connecting our heart. It's kind of detached. And worship can be that way too. You could come and sing a worship set of songs and you see people are rejoicing around you, but you just you're not feeling it per se. Um, well, i find it interesting that jesus jesus has said that that you know the joy that he gave us nobody could take it away from us and um how is that if if you're not if you're not having that joy inside who took it away you know <laughs> nobody could take it away from you um but i think we forget about it i think that's the issue we forget about the joy that that jesus has given to us and um so I'm not condemning you for singing those songs or you're not feeling joyful. I think they're good reminders of what we have. It's not so much, oh, I'm going to make myself joyful. So if you're doing that, please stop. <laughs> Don't try to make yourself joyful. Um, but if you want to, you could flip there, but you probably already know the scripture so well. It's uh, Galatians 5, and 23. If anybody knows it, just shout it out. I heard you. You didn't shout. <laughs> Fruits of the Spirit is fruit of the Spirit. It's love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self control all that goodness I'm sorry um so let's pick number two there, and notice the verbology i i use there pick pick ah oh, fruit, yes, we pick the fruit, right yeah, right we pick fruit i mean that's that's how most fruits produce we we pick it we and look at this in a spiritual sense, you know. Yeah, we've been commanded to be joyful. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Be joyful always. But how do you do that in your own power? How do you do that in your own strength? You can't. Mike, you should be up here. <laughs> um, be joyful in the Lord always, right? And how do you do that? It's a, it's a spiritually cultivated thing. Jesus hasn't asked you to 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 actually strive to be joyful. He says... If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit, you are. You know, you have the fruit of the Spirit. He, it's it's God cultivated. It's just for you to pick. It's just for you to, to enjoy and to receive from him. But on the other hand, how can we do that if we have this mentality where, you know, Paul Paul puts it in a couple of different ways. The first way is the body. You know, like how can one person say I'm an eye and my foot? This This idea of detachment, that's more in a spiritual gifting sort of sense. But when you look at Jesus in John fifteen, the chapter previous to this, he talks about apart from me you can do nothing. He says, "I am the vine; you are the branches." Notice, notice again the the, the words that he said. What are we? Branches. 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 Smart, smart. Yes, good. Um, but he said, "What? You no, know um, I'm sorry, but but Blake over there, he's he's an apricot, or you know, Aaron, he's he's actually a, a tomato, because yeah, tomatoes fruit." Go and research on Google later. Um, so, if it's a fruit, right, it, it's picked. And if we're branches, has Jesus asked us to be a fruit? Yeah. No, <laughs> but thanks for being honest. <laughs> uh, so, he, he hasn't asked you to be. A, he hasn't asked you to be the fruit of the spirit, right? He hasn't asked you to produce it, so to speak. That's that's a natural result of being connected to the vine. The focus isn't the fruit. The focus is the connection. Are you connected to the vine? Um, and you, you can't do it. You know, it's it's like it's like the eyeball trying to function on its own without the body. It's the same thing with a branch that's not connected to a vine. How are you going to grow fruit? How are you going to be joyful if you don't have Jesus, if you're not in Jesus? If anything, it'll have like a quick blossom, and it's just going to dry out within a matter of minutes or of days even. Um, and so the issue is at church, you know, if you find yourself in that state where it's like, I'm not really joyful being here right now, um, kind of evaluate yourself, you know. It's like, well, why am I not joyful? And, and usually it's a problem with the heart, you know. It's, uh, it, is our heart connected to Jesus? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. It starts with the heart. Um, so always look to your heart first and see, are you just going for the motions as far as like, I'm just forcing myself to be in this joyful countenance all the time singing these christian songs and um because i know i'm supposed to be joyful no i mean even if you have to step back like i'd even challenge you if if worship music is a is an issue for you specifically to really feel like it's heartfelt don't sing it you know (laughs) and i'm I'm saying that like tongue-in-cheek because i mean hey it's God's glory and we're to bring him glory but he also said in the old testament you know your your hearts are far from me even though your lips are speaking directly to me basically was paraphrased um, so just like i challenge you, you know take that as a mini exhortation that some church service you in the next week just take one song to just sing silently in your heart you know don't even use your lips just make it all all the melody and all the words everything straight from your heart um it I've tried that as a matter of experience, and it's, it's been a blessing to me, so I hope that's something that you would do. Um, and then maybe for other people, you've never used your lips. <laughs> you know, you never used your lips to communicate to God in terms of music. I challenge you, sing one song, you know, um, and sing the rest in your heart. But the the point that I'm kind of wanting to focus on tonight is that connection issue. Um, you can be a Christian and not be connected with Jesus it's kind of like you're you're just going after the fruit. And Jesus is a good caretaker. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He's gonna take care of you if you're a child. You're seeking him first. But what happens when you start feeling those blessings withdrawal? You know, it's like the song that Brian sang, Blessed be your name, on the road marked with suffering. Um and it's like if you find yourself becoming bitter, even in that Christian environment, because it's like all those blessings are somehow being removed from your life. Maybe it's it's God using that to get a hold of your heart and saying, you know what, you you thought you were blessing me, but it was more, I'm blessing God for his blessings, but I'm not really blessing him, you know? Um, how many of you have ever been to like a really cool house that you would stay at all the time and it's so fun to go to, but you didn't really know the person that like them that much? Two people are on this kid. That's a good. That's a good ratio for a Christian circle. Two percent. Okay. Um, no, but it's like I could tolerate being at a house. It's like okay, I don't have to be around the person. I can go use the Xbox and play whatever game I want. You know, I can play the Wii. I can whatever. Uh, did I sound like a video game junkie? I just realized that. Um, and, and look at look at the Lord. How many people come into the Lord's house, you know, on a weekly basis, where they're like, I enjoy this atmosphere of. Positive music and, you know, friendly people, loving people. But, you know, when I'm in the presence of Jesus, there isn't just enjoyment. It's just more this kind of I feel bitter because I'm not experiencing that. So I I kind of distance myself from him. Um, and we can do that with the Lord, you know. It's like you can enjoy his blessings because he is a good God and he's going to bless you because you don't deserve it. Um, but, it but if you f- find yourself in a place where those blessings are removed, evaluate that too, let that go for your heart. Um, even if you're not, because usually we could be in that place of blessing and not realize it. It's it's just for me when it happens is when I, those blessings are drawn. I'm realizing more and more how much I just was praising God for His blessings, but not really enjoying Him. Um, so the the last few scriptures I wanted to to tie in were just Psalm 16:11. Um, somebody knows it, shout it out. Psalm 16:11 somebody has a Bible and can look it up real fast, shout it out. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Mike. So he will show us the path of life in Jesus' presence or God's presence and your presence, if you're looking at the context, is, is fullness of joy. What, what was the verse that we started off with in, in John today? Jesus said, my joy that I give you, nobody can take that away from you. And what is that scripture says? In in God's presence is fullness of joy. What is this What is this joy? Remember what side we're on here? The people beforehand as disciples didn't have this intimate connection with God, didn't have this connection to the vine that Jesus had formerly taught about. They had more of this sort of cool, distant relationship with God because of sin. But Jesus came in and he flipped that around, you know. He he said, "You're gonna have joy. You're gonna you're gonna be connected, basically. You know, you're gonna have God's presence in your life. That's the joy that He's talking about, being in His presence." Um, and so, if you have the presence of God, Romans eight addresses what can what can separate you from the love of God, and we kind of find the answer to that's nothing. You know, nothing can separate you from God's presence. Nothing can separate you from His love. He said in, in Hebrews, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be content in this. Um, paraphrasing again. And it, it's like, where does joy come from? Joy comes from the connection of being in the, in God's spirit, him living in you. The fact that Jesus is with you, he's never going to leave you. We, we do those things that we enjoy. We get joy from those things that we enjoy. Would you agree? It's like, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Like, how many of you guys enjoy ice cream in here? Ice cream, yeah. How many of you don't enjoy ice cream? In okay, sorry, Tyler. How about gelato? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> there we go. So you do those things that you enjoy, and those people that you love to be around, you enjoy them. It's not like you're forcing yourself, okay, I have to go and be with that. It's like April and Brian recently engaged, everybody. yeah. I don't know that they're here right now, so this is a call-out. But... um. <laughs> It's, it's a joy to be in that person's presence. They don't have to force themselves to connect with each other or to have unity or to spend time. It's something that they get joy from it. That's why they're doing it. God's commandments are not burdensome to us because we love God. It's a joy to be in God's presence. It's a joy to do these things. We don't need to do these things to be a Christian. Um, it's a joy of being in his presence. Um, Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord always and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think we kind of get to that mentality again that we, we kind of look at this as, a, as a, a subject and a clause sort of statement. Well, if, if I delight myself in the Lord, then he's going to give me the desires of my heart. So I know what I, that's, that's rocket, that's not rocket science, you know, just delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to give me everything I want. It's not exactly the idea of that verse, you know. Um, it's talking about if you delight yourself in the Lord, There's not going to be any end to your delight because Jesus is able to perfectly sustain joy. I mean, a a spouse, they can't perfectly sustain joy. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but three years down the line, you're not going to be thinking that. You're going to be thinking, man, I need to get away from this person or who knows what's in your head. Um, And that hobby, like if you go out clubbing or whatever, maybe you get joy or whatever from it. But it's not going to last. It's not going to sustain it. So Jesus says the joy that he gives us can never be taken away from us. He is that joy. He's not going to be taken away from us. The reason we have fullness of the joy is because we have fullness of his presence. His presence is always there. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to have a fullness in your heart, that delight in your heart. You guys following me with that? Does that make sense? Um, Jesus, Jesus is a perfect... He says, you know, he would give us waters of of living life flowing within us. So my question that I just want to leave everybody with tonight is, do you enjoy the Lord? Not not do you just love Him, or do you spend time in His presence asking Him for things, or just thanking Him for His blessings, but do you enjoy Him? Do you spend just time with Him, you know, just telling Him that you enjoy Him? Just being in His presence, you know? Um, it's okay if you don't. <laughs> it's okay if you don't. Real, it can change real quick when you realize what he has done for you. And that's why I encourage, you know, focus on the cross. Focus on what he has done for you. If you if you don't enjoy Jesus at this point, it's hard not to enjoy a God who loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. And that he was willing to to go through hell, basically, for us, that we could have that fullness of joy in him. Joy to self is not the objective of this talk. I don't, I don't care if you have joy in that sense, um, but, but I do care that you enjoy the Lord. Um, joy itself could be an idol just like anything else. Love could be an idol. Sex could be an idol. American idol could be an idol. <laughs> um, joy can be an idol, right? And that's where I started to talk with tonight, talking about how you see other people and say, man, I wish I had that kind of joy. It's not about that. It's not about being joyful. It's about do you enjoy the Lord. The reason those people are joyful are really joyful is because they found the secret most often. It's that, hey man, they have they have the Lord in their lives. They spend time in his presence just because why? They don't have any of a preference. They wouldn't rather be doing anything else, you know. Um I can't say honestly that I'm always like that. You know, there's there's plenty of things I'd often rather enjoy doing with my time or with myself. Um but I can say as a result of, you know, just putting my heart into the Lord and pouring my heart out to him that he gives you joy that is unspeakable. And um, so my question that I leave you with is just, you know, go go before the Lord on your own. That would be my encouragement. And just, just let him ask you that, you know. Do you enjoy me? <laughs> are you enjoying the Lord? Okay. All right. Let's pray. Dear Father, you are um, so awesome, God. We just, so, God, we come here because we enjoy to be in your presence, Lord. Um, yeah, we enjoy your family, Lord. We we enjoy singing your songs, Lord, and, and, and praising you, Lord. And uh, None of us are perfect, God. All of us um, have so much, God. We fall so short of realizing um, how much you've done for us, God. So I pray just for this word tonight, Lord, that um, you would just magnify yourself to us, Lord, that we would... Um, Just rejoice in you, Lord, that we enjoy you, God, and help us in that, Father, because we struggle. We love you, and ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you see
0: why I love the guy? That was sick. Thank you, Jameson. Before we get into the study tonight, I wanted to share something with you, just a brief encouragement and exhortation. Um You know, something happened, something really sick happened today. I got really hooked up. The Lord just blessed. Um, But that's not the main thing that I want to talk about. Um, Today, my my grandpa came to, uh, he came up to my office. He lives in Kentucky. And uh, so I get to see him once in a while. A few weeks ago, he was here. And uh, he actually came to the study. And uh, he was really blessed by it. Um, But he's... He lives in Kentucky, like I said. and So he came out and uh, just to visit, I guess, and came up to check out my office at the church. So he and my mom came up, and, and he was just really stoked. He's like, wow, this is really awesome, just kind of enjoying taking a look at the office. And he's like, hey, well, um, if you got a minute, I want to show you something. I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good to me. So he's like, all right, come with me. So my grandpa took me down and, and we went out to the parking lot and we walked up and uh, he walked up to his, his Volkswagen Jetta and went like to the back of the car and I thought he was going to pull something out of the back of the car to show me. We walked up to the car and he said, I want to give this car to you. And I was kind of like, good one, grandpa, because my grandpa's the kind of guy that he makes jokes like this. Okay, My grandpa, growing up, was the guy that told me if if you can go outside because at his house he had a pool if you can go out and you can walk on water I will give you a motorcycle <laughs> and so I'm like okay grand and I was like I go out and I kept trying to walk on water and obviously I could not walk on water but do you do? yeah you know and so that's that's the kind of thing that my grandpa would do so I kind of like laughed and he told me this story he said you know uh, last week I was driving and um. And he said, I was driving, and the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, look at all that I've blessed you with. My grandpa has been very, very, very radically blessed in his life. He retired at the age of 35 and, uh, because he was an architect here in Riverside and uh, built a lot of homes. Retired at 35 and was just extremely, extremely miserly with his money. Very, very, very wise. Was totally out of his mind wealthy. And when my mom was growing up, my grandma made her clothes. Like that's how, that's how frugal he was and how miserly he was with his money. But keeping his money well, he's been able to live now for uh, about 50 years. 50 years off of retiring at 35, which is pretty good. Um, you know, the Lord's just hooked him up, but he said, you know, I was driving and, and I, the Lord just, you know, really spoke to me. He said, look at all that I blessed you with. Count your blessings. And uh, so my grandpa did. And the Lord told my grandpa, this is what he's telling me in the parking lot of Harvest today. The Lord told my grandpa to drive from Kentucky and give me a car. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm stoked that I got just blessed with this, you know, this really, this is an awesome car, you know? But the thing that I'm more blessed by And the thing that impacts me so much and is worth 50 cars to me is the testimony in my life of my grandpa that he would drive 3,000 miles to give me a car because the Lord laid it on his heart. It's not like I, I called him and I was talking to him and I said I needed a car and so he hooked it. It wasn't, it's not like that. It's not like, you know, my mom told him I needed a car because I didn't. But because the Lord laid it on his heart, go bless Tyler with this car. He drove 3,000 miles out of obedience. Who does that? Who does that? Nobody. Nobody. But we sat there, or we stood there rather in the parking lot of Harvest. I'm completely speechless, you know, because he's just told me like seriously this time that he wants to give me a car you know I mean and it's like there and like the car's real I don't have to walk on water you know I don't have to uh, I don't have to levitate myself I don't have to do anything ridiculous like that no strings attached you know and he just begins to you know to encourage me and to just you know um, tell me just how stoked he is about all that the Lord's doing and in our family's lives and stuff and and then he told me, you know, and he, he just, uh, he exhorted me that when the spirit leads, go and go quickly. And I just want to exhort us with that as a family. Hey, when the spirit leads, go and go quickly. Don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Don't, you know... Keep, okay, well, God, I'm going to put a blanket outside tonight, and if the blanket's wet and the ground around it is dry, then I will do what you've said. Then I'll talk to that person. God, if you, if I look up at at the sky right now, it's nighttime, and I only see two stars in the sky, then, God, I will uh, go share the gospel with that person over there. God, if I walk outside and I see a red tree, like just completely red tree, like bright red, not orange God, a red tree, okay? Then I will do what I feel like you've led me to do. When the Spirit leads, go, and go quickly. I mean, it just blows my mind. It's ridiculous to me that anyone would drive 3,000 miles to give up a car, to give someone a car, just because God laid it on their heart. That's radical. I'm so blessed. I'm so encouraged. I'm so convicted by my grandpa's obedience to God, because I can't necessarily say that I'd do that. You know, it's pretty ridiculous, but it's pretty Jesus. You know, and uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. You know, that that's something that God has really taught me today through my grandpa. Is when the Spirit leads you to do something, don't don't wait around. Don't hesitate. Don't think about it for three days. Just go. And when the Spirit doesn't lead you or is telling you not to do something, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, another example of something, and I, I, I just want to tell, this, tell you this story, and then we'll get into the study. Um, I, uh, last week, I interviewed for a job that I didn't need. I didn't even apply for this job. Um, but this company that I used to work for called me in and said, hey, we want to talk to you. And they ended up interviewing me for a position uh, to be um, a manager of a store. And uh, they ended up offering me the position. I would have to, to quit my job at Harvest to do it. Um, but, you know, as I was weighing it out, I was like, you know what? I feel like this is a good option. I feel like it's a great open door. I'd be making... A lot of money, a lot more than I am now at the church, that's for sure. And I really felt like I was going to do it. And I told them that I would give them my answer uh, on Monday, yesterday. And on Sunday, um, I was fully prepared. I was, I was like, ready to uh, go in on Monday, talk to all my bosses at, at Harvest, and let them know that I'd probably be taking this job, and to give you know, this, this company a call and let them know that I'd take the job. And, uh, but I, I still wasn't, I, I was ready to do it. I was going to do it, but I was still conflicted about it. You know, I was like, Lord, just give me your peace, whatever you want. Just make sure that uh, I want to make sure that if I stay at harvest, I stay here for the right reasons. And if I leave, I leave for the right reasons. I love my job so much. I feel like you've given me such authority that I don't deserve there, uh, or such Grace, I guess, is a better word that I don't deserve there, and such opportunity—that's the real word—opportunity that I don't deserve. But I feel like you're giving me this opportunity too. You're opening this door, and so I'm just—I'm gonna, going to go through it, Lord, in faith. And uh, so I—I uh, I was ready to do it. I get a call on Sunday night. Uh, it's one of our high school kids. I had given him my number, and I was like, "Call me anytime you need anything." And he was like, hey, are you going to church tonight? I said, well, I have a meeting during service, but I'm going to be here. Why? What's up? He said, I wasn't planning to go, but I just had some really terrible news, and I I need to go to church right now. I said, all right, dude, I'll be right there. I'm going to come pick you up. I went, I picked the kid up. I took him to church, and afterward, we got to just sit and talk. And uh, he just unloaded, you know, his his life. You know, and I, I... I was so shocked because I had no idea just looking at the kid that he had any of the issues that he had going on, you know? And I said, Who have, you, have you ever talked to anyone about this? And he said, no, never. <laughs> never talked to anyone about this. But you said I could talk to you about anything, and, and I want to. And so I ended up getting to spend Sunday night just really listening to this kid and, and being able to love on him and be there for him. And as I drove back to Harvest after dropping him off back at home, God made it clear to me that that's what he has me at Harvest for. That's what I'm there for, is is to be able to have those relationships and to be able to drop what I'm doing wherever I'm at and just go be there for someone, go love on someone, go buy someone Del Taco or have coffee with somebody. That's what God's put me there for. And he just spoke to me in that time and said, I want you here. And so I called that company on Monday And I said, I can't tell you how much I want this job, but I'm going to have to say no. They were kind of blown away, like, what do you mean no? (laughs) Like, I mean, we're offering you whatever days off you want off. It's a gang of money, and uh, you're saying no? Yeah, yeah. This is, it's just not what God has for me right now. This isn't what the Lord has for me, and so I'm going to have to say no. And you know what? I had total peace with it. And yeah, would it have been a, a smarter move for me to, to quit my job at Harvest and to work there? Oh, yeah. Would have been a lot smarter as far as the world's concerned. But it wasn't an obedience to God. And so I, I want to encourage you, family, run everything by the Lord. And when he leads you to do something or when he leads you to not do something, go with what he has. Because what he has for you is so much better than anything that you have right now. So much better. Amen? Okay. I spent like way longer doing that than I intended to. So let's pray and let's get into Leviticus chapter 10 right now. Father, oh, you're so good. God, what the heck? How, why on earth would you just give grace to, to us, Lord? We don't deserve it. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your blessings. God, we don't deserve you just radically hooking up our lives. But you do. All the time. God, every breath we breathe is an outpouring of your grace, and I'm so thankful for you. Now, God, in this time, I pray that you would really speak to our hearts and show us more of who you are and show us more of how you want us to live. Because, God, we love you. You love us, and so as a result, God, we love you, and we want to just obey. We want to do whatever it is that you want us to do Because we love you, King. So I lift this up in your precious son's name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 10. Begin reading with me in verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. We'll pause right there. I am so blessed and excited to be teaching the book of Leviticus. If you weren't here last week, If you weren't here last week at the Agape Feast, okay, as we're studying the book of Leviticus, we are studying this theme that runs through the entire book, this thread that sort of ties all these laws and even this story together. And that theme is, anyone remember? Dang it. Anyone? Okay. Holiness. That's your one freebie for the night, okay? The next time I throw my hands out emphatically like this, I want to hear, like, voices because, come on now. Holiness. The book of Leviticus is about holiness. And as we study the book of Leviticus, we're going to get to see three things. The first one is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The second thing we're going to see is the holy standard he has for his people And the third thing we're going to see is our sinfulness. So the book of Leviticus is about holiness. And as we study this book, we're going to see three things. Again, what are they? The first one is the holiness of God. The second one is the holy standard of his people or for his people. And the third one is our sinfulness. Amen. Our sinfulness. And I'm so excited, not only am I excited to be teaching the book of Leviticus, because believe it or not, Leviticus has to be probably my favorite book in the Bible, but I'm excited that I get the opportunity to teach Leviticus chapter 10, because it is the o- one of the only narratives or one of the only stories in the entire book of Leviticus. Not only is it one of the only stories, but Leviticus chapter 10 is absolutely key for us to understand these three things that i've laid out again what are they the holiness of god the holy standard for his people and our sin what do we have here though we just read Nadab and Abihu, these are the two sons of Aaron. They are his firstborn and his secondborn sons. And we, we've just seen, as if you were reading along with us through the book of Leviticus, how they have been consecrated and set apart by God to do two things. The first is to make sacrifice for the people. Okay, so they're going before the Lord to make sacrifice for the people. And their job is also to be examples or to teach the people God's law, his law, his word, okay? So they're the teachers, and they're the ones who are going before God and interceding for the people of Israel and atoning for their sin. They're the ones who are officiating the sacrifice, Nadab and Abihu. And so we have in chapter 8, God... Aaron goes and and sacrifices to the Lord and the Lord accepts Aaron's sacrifice. And then now here in chapter 10, if I said chapter eight, I meant chapter nine. Here in chapter 10, what we have is Nadab and Abihu go and they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord. What does this mean? Well, we're not entirely certain exactly what this means, but we are We're somewhat sure about what it means. In other words, we have a good idea of what it means. Uh, One of the jobs of the priest was to go into the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. You remember we studied the tabernacle. That's where God chose to dwell on earth. Okay. And if you wanted to get God's opinion or take on something, you wanted to meet with the Lord, you wanted to worship Him in His presence, you had to go to the tabernacle. You had to go to the tent of meeting. And it didn't matter where you were on earth, there was only one of them. Okay. And so one of the jobs of of the priest was they had to go into the, the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting, and take some coals that are off the altar. They were always, the altar was supposed to be burning at all times. All times the altar was burning. So they were supposed to take some hot coals off the altar and put incense with these coals and offer incense in the, uh, in the tabernacle. And what this represented was the prayers of themselves and of the people of Israel being offered up to God. So this is one of their roles. This is one of their responsibilities is to offer this incense, to burn this incense in the tent of meeting. And so Nadab and Abihu, what do they do? They go and they grab some incense and they take fire from outside the camp and they light the incense and they go running into the tent of meeting. And so what happens right when they cross, in a sense, the curtain or the doorway of the tent of meeting, fire comes out from the very presence of God, comes out from the tent and burns Nadab and Abihu alive in their tracks. Whoa. Snap, okay? Let me say that again, just in case that didn't sink in, okay? Right as they're walking into this tent, okay, a fireball comes from the very presence of God out of this tent and burns them alive. They're roasted, okay? They are fried chicken, right where they stand. I mean, this is radical. Why would God do something like this? What's the point? Why would this happen? God, they were just coming in to like do part of their priestly duty and they just got totally toasted. And then God immediately offers us this extremely important explanation. He says in verse 3, uh, yeah, verse three, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. Another way to translate this is, with the people who are near me, with the people who who's near God, well, only the priests. The priests are the ones that are going in the tent of meeting and and. Making intercession for the people of Israel. So you have God, you have the people of Israel, and in between, the go between, are the priests. So they are the ones who are near God. God says, Those who are near me, or the priests, to those who are near me, I will make known my holiness. To those who are near me, to the priests, I will make known my holiness. But to everyone, the entire, not only the entire camp of Israel, but the whole world, I will be. I will make known my glory. That still this doesn't make any sense. I mean they were just the priests. They were, Nadab and Abihu, they were just coming in and offering incense, you know? I mean they seem pretty gung ho and and I mean we don't I, they're they're just coming in to to do their thing, aren't they? Two things are important to understand about Nadab and Abihu's sin. Two things are important to understand. The first is that one of the, the jobs of the priest, as we're going to read very soon, is to distinguish between what was holy and what was common. They had to distinguish between what was holy and what was common. Okay? God is holy. He's perfect, right? He is completely, 100% sinless, perfect. Okay? Imagine you had a bright white suit or a tux, because those exist. White tux. You got a white tux on. I mean, you have the white vest, white tie, white shirt, white shoes. You're just white, okay? Would you take that bright white tux and would you throw it in your gym bag with all your dirty gym clothes? No. (laughs) You wouldn't do something like that because then you'd have to go to the dry cleaners because this bright white beautiful tux is now completely stained by your sweaty gym socks, you know? You, you wouldn't put this tux in your gym bag with your, with your dirty gym clothes. There's a, a, a distinguishment, a, uh, a setting aside of this tux from your dirty socks. There's a distinction between holiness and what is common. And Nadab and Abihu, rather than obeying God, because he had made clear the command, this is how you were to offer incense to me, okay? This is how you were to do it, is you you're supposed to come, get coals off the altar, put incense in it, and offer that. But they didn't do that. They brought in fire from outside. They brought in, in a sense, common, what was common, and were trying to bring it into the tent of meeting. We're trying to bring it into the holiest place in the camp of Israel and the holiest place in the world. And here's ultimately what was happening. This is what's happening here. They're trying to take what is filthy, what is common, what is not set aside for for God. They're trying to introduce it to God. It's like this. It it talks about in 1 Corinthians. It says, would you join Christ with a prostitute? Would you take Jesus, okay? And would you buy him a, a hooker, a prostitute? No. He's Jesus, and that's a prostitute. Like, you would never do anything like that. You would never do anything like that. And so the point is made that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it that way. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, that, that's what's going on there. And that says a lot about what's going on here with the sin of Nadab and Abihu. As I understand, just like you would never join Christ, you'd never give Jesus a hooker. That's, I mean, that's the last thing on earth that you would ever do. In the same way, that's in a sense what Nadab and Abihu are doing. Before the camp of Israel, they are trying to take what is, is common, what is unholy, what is not set apart for God and trying to put it on God. The second thing that Nadab and Abihu are doing is they are, not only are they disobeying God in how they are to do it, but they are disobeying God, period. Period. You know, it says, it makes it very clear in verse 2 that this was unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. God didn't say, hey, I want you to offer incense right now. They just took initiative, okay? Not good initiative. It was ambitious initiative. And we see something so clear about what's going on, uh, I think, here in in Leviticus chapter 10. Again, remember, Leviticus chapter 9, their dad Aaron has just offered this sacrifice before the Lord, and the Lord was pleased with it. And so what did they do? They got all excited, and okay, let's do this thing. And they run in to try and, and do something that God didn't tell them to do. They got roasted for it. They went to disobey God. They went to tarnish in a sense his name and so they got roasted for it why did god need to kill him i mean couldn't he have just stopped him not only did god say my holiness i will make known to those near me in other words you priests you're gonna know how holy how pure how set apart how different i am from you which they were trying to degrade in a sense his holiness said, not only you priests, am I going to make known to you my holiness, but you better believe I'm going to make known to the world my glory. And here's ultimately what Nadab and Abihu were doing. They were threatening God's glory. They were trying to take things into their own hands and do things their way, okay? This whole atonement for Israel thing, and they were trying to, just do things their way. And, and they were trying, in effect, to rob God of his glory. Hey, look at us. We're, we're the priests. We atone for the people of Israel. Hey, look, we can go into the Holy of Holies whenever we want. We can just walk right into the tabernacle. And so God roasted him. No one steals glory from God. Why? Is it because God is some... I don't even know what word I'm trying to use, but is he some ridiculous, what is it, me- megalomaniacal? I feel like I'm throwing a consonant in there that's not supposed to be there. The point is this. Okay, I'm not going to try and use big word because apparently I can't. Here's the point. It's not that God is some freak, you know, that's, that's up on the, the 30th story of some office building that is walking around and demands everyone to kiss the ground that he walks on. Okay, that's, that's not the image of God here. But here's the real issue. God isn't trying to get glory from anyone because he has all the glory. We don't need to give God glory That's a, that's a misnomer. That's a, it's a poor way of putting it. We say it all the time and it's fine to say that, but understand we don't, we don't give God glory. The glory is his, but we show others his glory. Okay. Does that make sense? It's not that God is, is trying to get everyone to give him glory. It's not ours to give. It's all his anyway. All God is doing is showing his glory. I will make known my glory. And God will have no one try and rob him of his glory. It's his, it's not ours. It's not ours to take. It's not ours to take for ourselves and say, Look at me. So often, family, we as Christians, and especially in ministry, are able to do this, to say, to believe our own press and to say, hey, look at me, look at the things I'm doing. Look at me, I teach a Bible study every Tuesday night, you know? Oh, that's great, you know, that, that you're, oh, that, that's cute, you, you have 30 people in your church. Yeah, I have a Bible study with 30 people, you know, like, check that out. Oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's really cool. So you, you know, I lead worship. I lead worship at a big church. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. Oh, that's, that's great that you're doing this. Well, guess what I'm doing in ministry? Guess what I'm doing for the Lord? This is what I'm doing. As Christians, it's so easy for us to try and take glory for the things that are going on in our lives. But listen, it's not ours to take It's not ours to take. The glory belongs to the Lord. Without him, you wouldn't be alive, let alone doing anything in ministry. Without him, you wouldn't be able to know God. You wouldn't be right with him. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross that we can even be made right with God. Listen, understand family. The glory belongs to the Lord. All right? Nadab and Abihu here are trying to rob God of his glory, and he's not going to have it. And so he makes an example of them to the people of Israel and to the world that the glory's mine. I'm the Lord, I am the, the ruler of the heavens and the earth, not you. Nadab and Abihu, again, what's going on here? They're robbing God of his glory. And so God makes the statement, to those who are near me, I will make known my holiness. But to those, to the world, I will make known my glory. Now listen, family. It's easy for us to try and rob glory. But if you're here today, if you're a Christian and you're daily drawing near to God, There's something that you're going to realize more and more and more and more. And that's his holiness. God makes the statement, to those who are near me, I will make known my holiness. But to everyone else, to the world, I will make known my glory. Listen, family, the closer you get to God, the more you realize his holiness. The more you realize his holiness, the more you realize your sinfulness And the more you realize his holiness and your sinfulness, the less you should be robbing God of his glory. So if you find yourself really seriously struggling with trying to take glory for stuff that God does in your own life, I'd encourage you, I'd challenge you, examine how close you are to God. Because to those who are near him, God makes known his holiness. There's not a day that goes by that I don't realize how holy God is. And the closer I get to him, the more sin is made apparent to me. You know, it used to be when I first gave my life to Christ, it was only the big things that I realized as sin. And it was like, I just need to stop cussing I need to stop looking at pornography and then I'll be pretty much great. You know, then I'll be just, I'll be Jesus at that point, you know just totally sinless, God's second gift to mankind, okay, after Jesus, you know, because I wasn't heretical, I was just full of myself, not only full of myself, but I had a very small view of God's holiness, but the closer I got to him, then I realized that it wasn't just a foul mouth, which... I had, and it wasn't just an addiction to you know, to pornography that I had to deal with, but then I realized that I was an extremely bitter person. Okay, so I need to deal with that bitterness. Then I realized that I was a jerk, basically. I was not loving. So then I had to work on that. Okay, well, man, I, I just realized, God, so much how much of a jerk I am, and how loving you are, and how, if I'm going to represent you, I need to be loving. And then, you know, once that happened, then it was like, you know, you're still, you've still got this cussing thing, but now it's in your head, not in your mouth. And you used to think that was okay because you weren't saying it, but I want to work on that. And I was like, man, I can't believe it. I had, I had so much more sin in my life than I ever realized. Did, was there honestly more sin than when I first started? No, but the closer I got to God, the more I realized his holiness Family, we cannot rob God of his glory. We must not rob God of his glory. Or we can't do it, but we we mustn't try to rob God of his glory and try and claim his glory as our own. But I'll tell you what, the easiest way to never do that is to get closer to him. Because the closer you are to God, the more in love with him you are. The nearer you are to him, the more you will realize his holiness The more you realize his holiness, the more you'll realize your sinfulness. And the more you realize your sinfulness, the less you'll be worried about robbing his glory. Amen? Let's continue to read, though. Wow, somehow, my Bible is back in Exodus. I don't know how that happened. Leviticus chapter 10. We'll continue reading on in verse 4. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers... The whole house of Israel bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled, and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Wow, God sounds like a real jerk, huh? I mean, Aaron just watched his sons get completely incinerated, and now God tells Aaron and... Aaron's remaining sons, Nadab and Abihu's little brothers. Hey, don't you dare go near them, first of all, because you're set apart, you're holy. You can't go near a dead body. I'm going to get your cousins. Moses, tell Nadab and Abihu's cousins to carry him outside the camp and to clean up the ashes. But don't you dare go near him. Not only can you not go near them, don't shed a tear. Don't mourn for them. Do not mourn for your dead sons. Do not mourn for your dead brothers. What the heck, God? I mean, that's kind of messed up, right? Uh, uh, We've studied already in the book of Genesis how God is not opposed to mourning. You remember what happened when Sarah died? Abraham mourned for her. Mourning is not contrary to scripture and god is definitely created us to to mourn so why has god commanded aaron don't mourn don't cry don't be remorseful don't even in a sense wear black he says don't let your hair be unkempt or your clothes be torn when we go to funerals or when someone we love dies we wear all black right as a sign of mourning you know when uh When a a police officer or a firefighter dies, uh, the remaining police officers or firefighters will wear a black band over their badge, you know, to, to show as a sign that they're mourning for their fallen brother. But God commands Aaron and Aaron's remaining sons not to mourn for the death of Nadab and Abihu. Why? Because here's the thing. If, they were to, if Aaron was to mourn for their death, it would, be, it would plant the thought in the people's minds that the death of Nadab and Abihu was a tragedy. That it was unjust of God to do that. When in reality, it was completely right. It was completely just for God to do that. Tyler, what do you mean? They were just offering incense. Listen, listen, the Bible makes it clear, the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. That anyone being sinners would still be alive is the grace of God. Anyone. Because at the slightest hint of sin, we deserve to die. The wages or consequences of sin is death. And Nadab and Abihu had their, their right consequences. Understand family, family, none of us deserve today. We don't deserve to be alive, not one of us. It's only by God's grace. And here in this case, he, God chose in his infinite wisdom and justly chose to not show grace to Nadab and Abihu. And he, he incinerated them. Now, if Aaron and his sons mourn for their loss, it appears to the people of Israel like it was just a, a real tragedy. What a terrible accident that happened. Man, this is such a bummer that they died, but God says don't mourn for them. Don't mourn for them. Don't give the people of Israel reason to believe that that was some freak accident or that it was a tragedy that they're dead. They're dead because they tried to rob me of my glory, and the world needs to understand that. You know, I was exhorted um, not too long ago. Uh, I had a real close brother that was... uh, that was in ministry with me. And, um, because of some, some events that happened, I had to go to that brother and I had to, to, you know, ask them to step down from ministry. And it was a big bummer for me because they were someone that that was close to me. And I, I said to them, you know, I'm really sorry that it has to be like this, but, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to step down. And the past, you know, the Pastor Steve Wilburn, who I was working for and serving under at the time, you know, pulled me aside, and he really he really rebuked me for saying that, and taught me a really valuable lesson. Don't be sorry for that. Don't be sorry for that. And I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean, don't be sorry for that? I'm bummed about it. I don't want it to be that way. And he said, don't be sorry for that, because ultimately— As God's kids, we need to understand that there's consequences for our actions. We can't be sorry for people when they they outrightly disrespect God and face consequences for that or rebel against God and face consequences for that. Family, we don't need to feel sorry for them. We shouldn't feel sorry for them. We should love them. We should gently restore them, absolutely. But we shouldn't feel sorry for consequences because those consequences are just. They're right, they're of the Lord, and frankly, they're pretty gracious consequences because remember, the consequences of sin is death. So anything less than that, man, it's a pretty joyful Or it's something to rejoice over when our consequences are anything. When we face consequences for sin, it's something to rejoice over even in that. Why? Because we're still alive. God showed us enough grace that we would live. Uh, That's pretty phenomenal. But we, we don't need to feel sorry for consequences of sin. And that's the lesson that Moses or pardon me, God through Moses is communicating to Aaron and his sons. That's why they're not to mourn. They should not feel sorry for rightly deserved consequences. Make sense? Let's continue reading.
1: Whew. Okay.
0: Verse eight, and the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute Forever throughout the generations you are to distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean And you are to teach the people of israel all the statutes that the lord has spoken to them by moses Here with this word of the lord. We understand two more things about uh, The sin of nadab and abihu The first one is is based on the context that god is now declaring to aaron through moses don't drink when you come to serve me, we can pretty well uh, draw from that that Nadab and Abihu who were drunk. Nadab and Abihu who were drunk and this lack of judgment caused them to do something very, very, very foolish, trying to rob God of his glory. If you've ever been drunk before i'm sure you can understand that i pray that you haven't but if you have i'm sure you can understand what's that it's pretty easy to make a really stupid decision you know under the influence of alcohol it's really easy to make a stupid decision and so god is commanding aaron and the priests forever don't be drunk when you're coming to serve here don't don't be drinking when you're coming to serve here Now, is this to say that the priest could never drink? No, that's not what is being said here in the text. It it seems that they can drink when they're off duty, in a sense. But when they are coming to serve the Lord, when they are coming to offer sacrifice, they need to be alert. They need to be cautious. They need to be attentive to the Lord. Okay? They need to be attentive to Him. It's sort of like... Did you know that in a, uh, well, I mean, we've had because of these scandals that we've had about pilots um, who, you know, get drunk and then go to fly a plane. Because of that, it's now like federal penalty. We're talking prison time. If you're a pilot and you're under the influence of alcohol, you're going to go to prison. You're going to go to prison for that. Why? Because you have a life and death job here. And you need to be alert. You need to be attentive. In the same way, the priests had a life and death job to do. They need to be attentive. They need to be listening to the Lord. They needed to give God and the service that they were to be doing their entire attention. Now, family, as as Christians, the question is always raised, can Christians drink? This is what I would say to that. If you're of legal age to drink and you're a Christian and you have the liberty in Christ. In other words, you are convinced in your heart, like it says in, in uh, Romans 14. If you're convinced in your heart that you can do that, then do it. The Bible's clear, don't be drunk, so you can't drink to excess, but you can have a glass of wine as a Christian. You can have a beer or two as a Christian. I can't make a biblical case and say that you cannot do that. But I would say this, When you are under the influence of alcohol, you're not quite as attentive to the Lord. You're not quite as focused on him. You're not quite as uh, able to be spirit-led. So I'd caution you. If it's your freedom in Christ, then it's your freedom in Christ. Don't get drunk. But I'd encourage you, hey... Think about the effect that it has on you and think if it's going to diminish your ability to be used by God. Because if, if that drink or, or being someone who has a drink often, you know, I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't tell you that that's not biblical. I can't tell you you can't do that. But I encourage you, ask yourself is this making me more effective in the kingdom or not? I encourage you to ask yourself that question. It's a valid question to ask, and that's, in effect, what's happening here. Be attentive to the Lord, and so don't drink when you come to serve me. I think practically, I will say this, and I will make this stand. Don't drink and come to church. And if you're serving in ministry, don't drink and minister. It's like don't drink and drive, don't drink and minister, okay? I can make that stand very firm. Because not only is it a statute, not only is it a command from the Lord, but there are a few commands that we are going to read in the Old Testament that say that it's a statute forever, okay? Jesus said when he came, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, okay? There are certain laws that are distinguished by this phrase, a statute forever, okay? That means it's never going to change. It doesn't matter that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and freed us from bondage to the law. We don't have to go through these sacrifices anymore. But this is a statute forever. Don't drink and minister, okay? Uh, I can stand on that hard because if you do, that's not good, my friend. You might find yourself in a world of hurt. might find yourself in a world of hurt. Um, the next thing that... Uh, I want to point out in this little chunk here is that or, or the next thing that we have to understand about the sin of Nadab and Abihu from this chunk is not only that they were drinking, but another important thing that we learn about Nadab and Abihu's sin is that they were supposed to be examples to the people of Israel. And their example, their example was to be followed, okay? Okay. They were to be examples to the people of Israel, and their example was to be followed. It says here in this scripture that you are to distinguish between what is holy and what is common, between what is clean and what is unclean, and you are to teach or instruct or guide the people in these things. So if Nadab and Abihu, if we look at Nadab and Abihu and they can sin against God, they can disobey, they can profane the name of God in the place of God, and they can, in a sense, try and rob God of his glory, then I can too. Christians, all of us here today, uh, at some level, are an example to the people around us of who Jesus is. You know, Chuck Smith has made the point, you may be the only Bible that somebody reads. Every single one of us uh, are examples of who Christ is. And depending on where you're at in the church, you may be more of an example or more of a, a visible example or less of a visible, visible, visible example. And you need to respect that. You need to act accordingly. See, understand, I come here every Tuesday, I stand behind this mic, and I talk into it, and I, I, I teach you God's word. Not because I get brownie points out of it, because I don't. Not because God is, and not because God is like more lenient to me because I, I have this Bible study. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. In Christ, we have freedom, right? Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from judgment. Did you know that because I've taken this position to teach this Bible study, when I die, I'm going to face judgment? In fact, it says in Titus that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. So, hey, you're you're all free in Christ. I'm going to be judged. When you take positions of leadership, this is my point in saying this, When you take positions in leadership, you need to respect that. And you need to understand that this isn't some small thing. And you can't misrepresent God. And you can't try and rob him of his glory. Because that's what's going on here. That's part of the sin of Nadab and Abihu. The sin of of outright wickedness. I'm running out of time, so let's wrap this thing up. Because there's something really crucial that I want us to see in this, Okay. Verse 12, Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food and and of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given you as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever as the Lord has commanded." Part of Israel's, or part of the priest's offering sacrifices was they were to eat part of the sacrifice. That's what all that has to say, summed up. Part of their job was to eat part of the sacrifice, okay? And it was an example of this, taking part in communion with God, okay? This is like an early example of the Lord's Supper, of communion, okay? And so they they were commanded to eat of part of the sacrifice because it it was a picture of their entering into this sort of oneness or nearness with God, okay? This was sort of them having a meal with God. Does that make sense? Because part of the sacrifice was to God, the other part was to them. This is like them eating with the Lord, okay? Make sense? It was a command. This is an important thing. It was a command for them to eat this food. Verse 16, now Moses diligently inquired about the goat and the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. So in other words, the food that was supposed to be set aside for Aaron and his sons to eat, Aaron and his sons offered the whole thing to the Lord. They just burned the whole thing. They didn't keep any to eat themselves, which was part of the sacrifice. It was part of the command. So here we have again this In a sense, this disobedience of God's command with how sacrifices were supposed to work. This is what Nadab and Abihu got roasted for, right? But let's continue reading. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not to be brought into the inner parts of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I have commanded. So Moses is ticked. Why? Because he's like, we just dealt with this. Your two older brothers just got fried for disobeying God in how the sacrifices were to work. He just made it clear, I'm going to make known my holiness to those near me. You're going to respect and revere my holiness and obey me and not defame my holiness or take glory from me. Your brothers just got roasted for that and what do I find you doing Not 10 minutes later? Not obeying the Lord in his command of how sacrifices were supposed to be run, of how your job is supposed to be done. You should have eaten that food. But Aaron steps up in verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So here Moses is approving of Aaron and his remaining sons not obeying God's command about the sacrifice. What's the difference here? Aaron's saying my two sons just died. I can't eat. My appetite is a little little gone. Me and my two youngest sons weren't able to mourn for their loss. How am I supposed to eat right now? And when Moses heard that, he approved. God didn't roast them. He didn't call fire down from heaven to consume them. Did they sin? Yeah, they disobeyed God. What's the difference? Nadab and Abihu's sin was a sin of wickedness. They got drunk and tried to look popular, possibly to impress a couple of girls sort of thing. Hey look, check it out. We're the priests. We're going to go before the presence of God right now. They just grabbed some fire and ran in. They got roasted for wickedness. They were supposed to represent God's holiness and they were tarnishing his holiness, his purity. They were trying to rob God of his glory. Their sin was a sin of wickedness. And they were met with swift, swift consequence. Aaron and Ithamar and Eleazar's sin was a sin of weakness. They couldn't bring themselves to eat. And so did they disobey the Lord? Yes. Yes. But God understood why. God showed them grace, showed them compassion. Or rather, he showed them mercy. Why? God isn't some heavenly jerk who's just waiting for a chance for you to mess up so he can just totally work you over. That's not God. God's loving, he's compassionate, he's gracious, and he's merciful. And so when we are unable to live up to his standards, when we are unable to live up to his holy standards, he understands. People sometimes ask me, how can God expect me to be perfect? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. There's a stark difference between the sin of Nadab and Abihu, sin of wickedness, and the sin of Eleazar and Ithamar, the sin of weakness. Family, we have messed up, and we will continually mess up, and we will continually, in our weakness, fall short of God's standard of of holiness of perfection for us, but God isn't looking to just roast us. Okay He's not looking to just kick us in the butt And see I told you so I knew you couldn't be good sort of thing. That's not our God But listen God is holy. He is perfect. He is to be respected. He is to be regarded. He is to be held on high He's to be seen as holy by those who are near him and glorious to everyone. And when we try and rob God of his glory, take it for ourselves, when we try and diminish God's holiness in front of people, overtly and purposefully, it's not good. It's not good. And you are going to face consequence for that. Because God is a holy God. He's pure. And to those who are near him, he will make known his holiness. And to the world he will make known his glory. Let's remember how holy our God is, how good he is. He's our friend. Like it says in Hebrews, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Something that the priests couldn't do in their day. They couldn't just run into the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting. They had to go through certain processes, certain methods, and had certain rules and regulations. But we, we can walk boldly into the throne room of grace, but let's not take that for granted. Let's not forget how holy our God is and the holy standard that he's called us to live. We are going to sin. We are going to fall short. But as a family, let's make sure that when we sin, that it's the sin of Eliezer and Ithmar, the sin of weakness, that we simply couldn't live up to his standard of holiness. Rather than the sin of Nadab and Abihu, that we went out of our way to rob God of his glory. We went out of our way to sin against him and to defame his name. Amen? Father, I pray that we would lead holy lives. You've called us to be holy as you're holy. God, we can't do that. We can't do that apart from you. And so, God, inspire us to draw closer to you every day so that we can get a better understanding of your holiness, so that we can see better our sinfulness. so that we could walk nearer with you in spirit and truth, really worship you. That we would be able to show people how glorious you are by the lives that we live, by the grace that you've given us. Father, teach us to be holy. And God, please have mercy on us because we can't be. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for sending Jesus to die on the cross. That he might pay for our sin, that no matter where we're at, even if we have been committing the sin of Nadab and Abihu in our own lives, we can today repent of that sin. Thank you for that, God. Please help us to do it. Help us to walk in you. You, you have all the glory, all the honor, all the power, all the praise forever and ever. It's all yours, King. Amen.